With the exception of our chat, the views expressed on this episode of Eric CDM World do not necessarily reflect those of Matt Thomas, a.k.a. Asteroid. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Good afternoon or good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021, and this is episode four of Eric CDM World, presented by the Hitting the Marks Podcast Network at hittingthemarks.com and just by cbdstore.com. Head over to justcbdstore.com for all of your edible and vaping needs, and as a bonus, enter HTM at checkout to receive a 20% discount on your entire order. On today's show, I chat with probably one of my better friends in dance music, Matt Thomas. You may know him as Asteroid, but nevertheless, the guy has been on fucking fire. We sat down earlier today for a casual chat and talked about everything from why record companies are pushing his songs to the forefront of their release schedules, to his professional relationship with Darren Porter, and his thoughts on why he engineers and even ghost produce for other people. We had some audio problems along the way, but it was still a great chat, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. It's not been the best of weeks for me, at all. On top of being sick for the better part of seven or eight days now, I posted in a local EDM group here in Cincinnati under the Transform name in reference to a post that I had seen a couple days earlier. The post was in reference to adding new sound equipment to a local venue here. And in the very next sentence, they recommended hearing protection. Well, that basically tells me that the sound levels are already at a dangerous level to begin with. And I have a big problem with that. My post read, it's disturbing when promoters urge the use of earplugs. Now, when you look at that post at face value, it appears as though I'm firmly against wearing earplugs. I'm not. It was in reference to the sound being already loud in the first place and the venue and the sound company should hold a certain responsibility to not blow your freaking ears off. Now, the audience that responded to that post were mainly bass music fans. That's not my target audience. But the assault came swift and hard and I mean it was bad. So that had me down for a couple days because it is true that one post or one tweet 
can really ruin you. But I'm sure that when the next cat meme rolls around, a lot of people will soon forget this. So only time will tell. And this week turns a major milestone for me. I'll be 50 years old on Saturday. And I really wanted to do something for my birthday. I hadn't been on vacation in a little over 20 years. I'm finally in a position to where I can do so. And I wanted to go down to Cabo and found a, a really nice resort down there where I could just relax, chill, enjoy some sunshine and warm weather for about a week. Well, when I brought it up to my employer, they said, oh, that's a great idea, Eric, but you got to take a PCR test on your way back. What if you test positive? What if it's a false positive? You're going to be quarantined down there, mandatory, for at least 10 to 14 days at my expense. So I thought better of it, and it looks like I'll be working once again on my birthday. I've looked at Florida, but it's spring break, and the hotel prices skyrocket. Hotels that were once $120 to $150 a night are now well, uh, are well over $450. Florida's also taken advantage of the uh, unfortunate circumstances that happened in Texas a couple weeks ago with the uh, power outages due to the snowstorm. And the hotel prices rose about two weeks early. Um, so I don't know what I'm going to do. And last night, as I'm uh, working on this podcast, I had my earbuds in, head down, and I look up and there's red lights just flooding my windows. And I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? Really didn't think anything of it because there is a local hospital about no, a half mile up the road from me and fire engines and ambulances pass my street all the time. Well, this was different. I mean, the lights were everywhere and right outside my window. So I went outside and the building two doors down from me is freaking on fire. There were two ladder trucks from the fine people here in the Cincinnati Fire Department and they had their ladders extended to the roof of the building. And it looks like they had to uh, use their axes and uh, certain tools to enter the roof to get to the second story unit. Doesn't seem to be a whole lot of damage, and I don't think anyone was hurt, but it certainly was very, very smoky. So a lot of excitement, a lot of drama, but through all of this, I have learned that no matter what happens in life, man, things can always be worse. People are worse off than you are, and I am very, very, lucky and very thankful that uh, I have maintained my sobriety for the past uh, 38, 39 months now. And I didn't run back to the bottle this week or I didn't run back to my dealer. It could have been easy, but I'll tell you what, that thought never really even crossed my mind. And that says something. So yes, I am proud of myself. Yes, I am patting myself on the back because I freaking deserve it. So it's been a rough week. We all have rough weeks. We all make mistakes, but you just have to move on. So that's my TED Talk. Thanks for coming. 
and I'll be right back with my good buddy, Matt Thomas. My next guest is one of my very good friends in the dance music scene. And this Welshman moved to the Netherlands because it's one of the dance music capitals of the world to concentrate on his productions. He's been on fire as of late, and his last four releases have seen two of them enter the top 10 on the Beatport Trance chart. His latest single, which you're hearing in the background now, was released on March 1st, and it's a vocal tune with the lovely and talented Deidre McLaughlin. The song is entitled Awake Me, and it's courtesy of Regenerate Records. It's always a pleasure to speak with the often outspoken yet humble man who calls himself Asteroid while DJing or producing, and I'm not only going to talk to him as his alter ego, but his real name as well, Matt Thomas. So Matt Thomas, welcome to Eric's EDM world, and Matt, how the hell are you, man? I'm great, brother. I'm great, and thank you very much for taking the time out with me. Uh, I always enjoy our encounters, and I look forward to the day where we can actually do it in person too. Of all of the people who I have the absolute honor and pleasure of speaking with on a regular basis, you are definitely top three of uh, that. the people who, right before I do leave this earth, I at least want to say hello and shake your fucking hand, man. So, you know, the feeling is mutual. The feeling is mutual. So I'm going to start off by asking you probably the dumbest question that any uh, reporter could ask a musician or a uh, sports athlete um, because we all hear it after an athlete scores uh, that the winning goal or that the winning basket after a game or match. And And it's this, how does it feel to have two songs out of your last four releases enter the top 10 on the Beatport Trains chart. Absolutely shit. <laughs> That's funny because it's not the answer you were expecting, but it's also, <laughs> I wish it was all four. That's the truth, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I can, I can I, I, of course, I'm more than happy that two of them have reached the top 10, but you know, everybody wants to win. I heard that on Brian Carney's podcast recently, uh-huh. you know, how much we play nice and say, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody wants to win. So the actual truth is, no, it's great. And I'm just kidding. But it would be awesome to have been awful. This must be paying big dividends for you. Not financially, because we all know there's no fucking money in streaming. Unless you're Takashi 69 or something. But as a sought after dance music producer such as yourself, to provide labels with music that pads your resume for gigs that we all know that are in the very near distant future, this has got to be huge for your brand, is it not? 
Um, yeah, I mean, time will tell. It's a difficult one to gauge at the moment because, you know, it, it, we heavily rely on many different external factors uh, for all of these gigs to go ahead, should they go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's exciting, man. And uh, the most exciting part, uh, you know, other than the obvious, you know, brand building, and I feel fortunate to be in that position in, in the first place, but the most exciting part for me is how much more support the events probably will have and should rightly have when they come back. I would imagine every event is going to be full, sold out for a while once they come back. That's my hope. That's my vision, at least. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it would be amazing if um, it would be amazing if the effect this has on my brand in terms of gigs would be how I would like it to be. We'll say it like that. Yeah, yeah it's interesting that we're looking at at these events and festivals and i'm just using creamfields as an example here you know where it's sold out in record time with the addition of all of these events post june 21st which is sort of the goal date for the uk government to start lifting their restrictions in that country uh with more and more events being scheduled and that the pre-sale tickets being sold at almost record rates. Yeah. Do you feel this will actually put pressure onto the UK government to actually go ahead no matter what with their June 21st goal date? Yeah, I think it does. Um, but it's not, uh, you know, I'm usually very much an optimist That's how I tend to look at everything in, in yeah. an optimistic uh, I will say, however, it's like the British government to move the goalposts, and they've done it already numerous times. Um, I just, more than anything, not just for the events in the arts world, but I, for every individual person that's struggling with lockdown, I hope, I really, really hope that it moves forward as planned, uh, just so that people can get back out, they can go and see their friends, they can go and see their family and enjoy a drink or whatever on the dance floor and some music and and just, you know, just say goodbye to everything that's happening right now and move forward. That, yeah. to me is important. that to me is more important almost than the gigs themselves. Just the fact that people can get back to what they enjoy doing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a funny one because, uh, you know, for, for the past year, um, I've looked at it in terms of what can I use this time for? You know, what books can I read? What uh, parts of music production can I learn to be better with? So I've used it very much as time to be better uh, or a better version of myself and 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 move forward out, outside of lockdown when everything passes as a better producer, as a, uh, you know, a better, a better friend, a better family member, a better supportive person. Um, so for me, it's been, uh, I mean, the external circumstance itself has been negative, but inside, internally, it's been a very positive thing. Uh, I know, you know, obviously, I, I'm not to undermine anything that anybody else is going through, but... For me, it's been positive because I've put my energy into things like learning and becoming better at something. Through our past conversations and uh, that the past articles that I have written on you, which uh, if anyone's interested, you can go to transform.com, search asteroid, search Matt Thomas, and I think you'll see more than a few there. Um, you're pretty outspoken about your relationship with Darren Porter, with his helping you to learn more about the dance music to production process. Um, how instrumental has Darren been 
still in this past year due to the fact that I have to say your songs just keep getting better and better. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate that. That's yeah, it's down to a lot of hard work and actually just putting in the time. There's nothing, there's no, there's no uh, experience like actually just doing the work. You know, I, I remember, I remember specifically very well uh, an interview with Conor McGregor, love him or hate him. You've got to love some of the things he comes <laughs> out with. And, uh, and he said to uh, one of the reporters once, you know, they were like, you're a very talented fighter. And he said, well, no, actually I'm not talented. I'm not talented at all. I just work hard. Mm-hmm. And I really, in this. I mean, there has to be a kind of, a God-given talent or an undertone of talent, absolutely, for you to even want to pursue or work that hard in the first place. There's got to be something driving you. Uh, but ultimately, there's there's no talent like practice, brother. Simple as that. You put in the time at anything, you can good at it. It's just one of those things. But uh, going back to your original point, Darren and I have barely spoken over the last year, um, in fact, because... Uh, not me, really Anna, or anything like that, just simply because he moved from Germany to the UK. Uh, you know, so he was getting all of his things organized and, and settled there, setting up his new studio. And so we haven't kept in touch a great deal. We've been doing our own thing. I know he's been busy on the engineering side as well. Um, I've also been busy on the engineering uh, side. So, yeah, we just haven't spoken a great deal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he was instrumental in the lot. Uh, how can I say? Uh, to what, what year are we even? 21. <laughs> 21, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think so. Yes. During like summer 2019, he really helped me step up my production game from like, you know, 90% polish to that final professional letter, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he got he kind of pushed me over the edge, you know, to to get to that point. I was I was kind of borderline professional releases and he just helped me, you know, he helped, he was instrumental in the sense where he came along and really helped me to understand uh, certain aspects of my production process that I was lacking with. Um, but yes, I mean, he was instrumental in the early days, but over the last year, we, ha- we haven't shared, certainly haven't shared much production wise, you know, we've caught up on, on calls and we've spoken to each other about, you know, more personal things, I guess, you know, uh, how our lives are going, personal lives outside of music. Um, but yeah, from on the music front, he was instrumental in 2009 for sure. You seem to be releasing on a regular schedule now, uh, not so much you, but the record labels. Um, we all know that once a contract is actually signed to a label, sometimes it takes six months to even a year for that song to be uh, to released. Um, yeah. We're seeing more and more music from you lately, uh, which means that it kind of tells me that labels are sort of bumping up the release date of your songs towards that the front uh, based upon the fact that you're marketable right now. You are popular. Uh, we've talked about two of your last four songs hitting the top 10. Um, is this indeed what's happening? And is it something that is a positive step, not only for you, but for trans music as a whole? Yeah, um, well, I think the interesting thing is uh, the point you initially made about releases sometimes taking up to six or so months to be released, that's still the case. Even with my releases now, they've, I've had a kind of flurry of releases uh, quite frequently, if you like, every, almost every month or every other month for the last six. Uh, but essentially, uh, you know, Catharsis and Hypnotica were, were originally written as exclusives for the Seven album. Um, and, and so we were going to send them directly to Seven just as Seven exclusives. 
you know, and Mark Sherry, I want an absolute gent in the industry, by the way, if anybody knows know how much of an absolute gent he is. Uh, I go to him for all the mastering needs. So I do all, you know, the whole production process, final mix down myself, and then the final master will go to him because he's, for me, is the best in the industry. Um, and we sent him Hypnotica to master. And of course, Liam and myself had already, already released previously on Outburst. Um, he loved the track. He was like, can I sign it? We were like, yeah, it's going out on the seven album. Is that okay? We agreed. We did a slightly different extended version for Mark's single release, the extended mix uh, being released a couple of weeks back. And then the album, seven album version was slightly different. Um, and then with Catharsis, kind of the same thing. It was for Sean's disc. Sean loved it. And I pitched it, the idea of him signing it to regenerate. And thankfully he took it. And But, you know, I finished those tracks. Well, I mean, the seven album came out in October last year. And we finished them a few months before the release. So, and they, you know, that by the time the release has come out, it's still four to six months onwards. Um, yeah. yeah. So, Awake Me, Jesus, we, uh, Deidre and I, we finished that uh, maybe in September. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of around that mark. I mean, uh, what, what we have to appreciate it as well is like everybody wants to be on your subcultures and your FSOEs and your armadas of the world. Mm-hmm. And so, their release schedule is much longer same with outburst in fact if you know if it's tech trans related outbursts uh you know is the place to be it's the probably the best tech trans label out there for me um again it's just personal choice and probably because i really like mark too uh, <laughs> but genuinely the music is outstanding on on outburst and and the same can be said about the other labels i've, re- I've spoken about and so with with labels like this their release schedules they're already jam-packed full of releases because everybody wants to release on these labels Whereas then when you get the slightly newer ones, uh, you know, like Regenerate, which is doing really, really well, mm-hmm. as a, uh, but it's still relatively new compared to Outburst, Armada, you know, and uh, and the others we spoke about. So yeah. when the labels are newer, then the, the release schedules are a little bit, uh, a little bit faster. So yeah, it's, it can, it can be a number of things that equate to uh, how fast the releases come out. Uh, for example, yeah. You being a former A&R yourself, uh, you know the importance of of signing quality music and and sort of pushing what's hot right now. When we talk about certain A and R's in the industry, um, where do we draw the line here, Matt? When uh, you have certain trans labels out there, some of the smaller labels where they're basically hiring their friends as their A and R, who, in my opinion may not be the best choice for this very important role. Uh, When they sign a song to their label, and quite frankly, it's not a very good song, what this does is, in my opinion, it sort of dumbs down the industry um, in that you see a lot of people who are learning and who are new look at these songs and use that or those songs as a benchmark for what they need to achieve. And if that's the benchmark that they need to achieve, that's pretty piss poor when the quality to begin with was pretty much shit. So who in the hell made A&R as God? They did. They made themselves God. The thing is, there are many, there are many, um, there are many places where the responsibility should fall for good quality music. Not, not the least of which is on producers themselves. Like, you know, if you're not referencing professional tracks and your tracks don't stand up, then 
you shouldn't really be sending it out to the bigger labels. I know that you desperately want to be signed. I've been there. You know, I've been in the position where producers are coming through and, and our music just wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough for the bigger labels. And so I didn't settle for, for signing with the smaller labels. I would continue to work, continue to work, continue to work until my music was good enough for at least the respectable labels. Now, this is not to sound disrespectful to labels that are not considered uh, professional because I understand that they're trying to do the same thing too. They're trying to give a voice to the little guys and I really, really respect that side of it. But there's a responsibility also on your label works of the world, on your beat ports of the world. Where's the quality control there? Mm-hmm. You know, because we can the A&Rs as much as we want, right? But if they think a track is good and they want to sign it, bear in mind the A&R are the first, uh, first rung on the ladder. Because like you said, most labels are employing their friends. Like Darren did me, we were friends. He employed me as the A&R. Mm-hmm. It, I, we were just lucky. I did have a lot of production knowledge and almost 10 years experience at that time. So I knew what to listen out for. But in the instance where people are employing their friends and they don't have a lot of production knowledge or are just starting out, you know, they're going to be sending it to the label owner after that for the, for the final approval. So they'll basically just be the gate. We'll call it a gate, right? Some A&Rs will be considered a gate mm-hmm. where they will be the one to weed out all of the weak demos and any ones that have potential, they'll push to the, to the main guy for the, for the final approval. So they're just, essentially a lot of A&Rs are just going, well, I think it's great. So what do you think? And the, and the actual approval is based on someone else. We can't, it's a very broad term to, to a very broad aspect to determine that the A&R is always at fault. And also if a label, if the, if the owner above the, the A&R or above, I hate that. Anyway, <laughs> the, the, the label, if they get the final, final approval and then the label goes to distribution and it goes through the entire distribution process and then people release it on there then where's the quality control from that side too? There's got to be some responsibility from the sites and the distributors to go, guys, this isn't, it's, it's almost professional, but it's not professional enough. And it's, you know, it's not at the, at the standard required. And that sounds mean and that can tear down the dreams of any up and coming producer as I've already experienced, but it is the truth. There's so much, there are so many mediocre, underproduced and overproduced, in fact, uh, music out there that the quality control and the responsibility lays with everybody, the producer, the A&Rs, the people approving the tracks, the labels, and the, distri- the distributors and, and websites. It just has to be, the responsibility has to be everywhere because uh, at the end of the day, music is subjective. What you think is great, I might think is shit, all right? And and for us to pass based on pass tracks based on this, if they don't meet a professional standard, they shouldn't be released. I'm sorry, but I know that sounds harsh, but it's the truth. Yeah. Uh, that's the truth. You know, I've, I've been rejected many times because my music wasn't professional. And you can go two ways. You can go, well, fuck this. I'm not going to do this shit anymore. I'm mm-hmm. not going to put up with this shit anymore. Or you can knuckle down, keep your head down, you know, uh, remain positive during the whole process and just work until you're good enough. And that's it. So speaking of labels, I want to get back to what you were referencing just a moment ago about one of them. And that's the very exclusive seven label where you released two of your songs on their uh on the compilation last year first of all congratulations but secondly i have a little bit of a problem with that when a record label that is inviting to everyone meaning anyone can submit a song to the label when that label releases a compilation i think it's a wonderful thing 
when you have an exclusive label such as seven that has an exclusive roster of granted seven of the better trance uts producers on the planet when they do it what they're in essence saying to you in my opinion is hey that's a great song matt we'd love to use it for our compilation and make money on it yeah but you're still not going to get into our club man I think it's a slap in the face to you. I think it's a slap in the face to all the other artists. And I actually think it's a slap in the face to the entire industry. I'm fine with having an exclusive roster. I have no problems as in terms of that. But don't use other people's music and throw it onto a compilation just so you can make money on it during a fucking pandemic. That's what I have a problem with. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, this is an interesting one uh, because, as you say, that I understand what you mean. Like, if it's a regular record label where there are there are more than an exclusive team of producers, then them inviting all of their roster of artists onto the compilation makes more sense. And I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, but you know, when, with regards to the a compilation, when you consider four discs. With all of that music, it would be pretty impossible for just seven guys to to man to manage that by themselves mm -hmm. and the outsourcing of music from other labels for compilations is pretty standard practice in the industry but but yeah i can i can certainly see how it feels different for uh you know for a a, a label that only constitutes to seven producers for example um compared to a regular label again for for, for me though as a you know one of the newer producers i guess um everybody wants to be on these labels uh so if it's if it's by way of a release on the compilation album that's been handpicked by the likes of Sean Tyus and handpicked by the likes of Alex D. Stefano, for example, mm -hmm. two amazing guys, two amazing producers too, then that 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 ultimately is where the compliment and the reward is for me as the producer. Um, and you know yourself, right? You earn shit money from from streams or whatever. So, yeah, uh, you know, I don't really see it selling my soul for something I could never get into the you know the original group from as such and and would i want to be exclusive to seven people and one label probably not mm -hmm. i understand your viewpoint in that you know hey my song was actually chosen by one of these seven guys who once again are some of the better producers in the world um so that's a huge compliment for you um at the same time i think Every producer has sort of their bucket list, uh, what labels they would like to be a part of. Um, I can see your point where this is actually good for you because it actually pads your resume a little bit more. Um, sure. so, so that part of it I can see. Uh, speaking of, is there anything that you have been signed for as in terms of a gig? Yeah, nothing confirmed yet. Um, actually, which is, I'm, I'm not surprised with, uh, you know, I, I left an agency as well. So I'm now currently agent free, uh, just a heads up for any promoters that may listen to this, by the way, it's, uh, bookings at asteroidmusic.net. Wink, wink. Yeah. I, th I think at the moment with, with everything that's going on with the climate, current climate, um, yeah, I missed out on some, uh, even though I haven't, I haven't got anything confirmed for later in 2021, I can tell you one thing I was confirmed for two or maybe even three of the biggest brands uh, for 2020, uh, later on in 2020. 
uh, two or three of the biggest brands in the world at that point. So providing they stick with the original, mm-hmm. uh, the original lineups, then I do have some big news to come for 2021 as well. I certainly hope so. But, uh, and I guess my next question sort of leads into this with you, uh, spending a tremendous, a tremendous amount of time. And I know this for a fact due to the fact that when I try to get a hold of you through no faults of your own, it, it may be a 12, 18, 24 hours right before you message me back, you are basically living in your studio when you're not working your full-time job. Um, where do your DJ skills lie right now? Do they pretty much suck ass? Uh, yeah, I mean, I could do with a bit more practice, right? <laughs> and I, I don't know. It's it's one of those things because I started out as a DJ and I used to mix really, really well on vinyl many years ago. In fact, I was known in my hometown for being, uh, you know, a, a great DJ at the time. You know, I was known for how tight my transitions were, et cetera, et cetera. And my friends would always congratulate me on that. And it always felt great. Uh, and then we moved over to CD and now eventually USB. Mm-hmm. But of course, in that time... In the in the interim, I've kind of gone more production than I have DJing, so I haven't practiced, man. I, I don't practice. I don't. My the only practice I get is when I play a show or play a gig. So yeah, uh, yeah, I, I more time on my controller or, or whatever learning. But yeah, man, you know, one of these things. It's like, I, you know, I think my mixing is good enough to hold up in a club, and I certainly perform better anyway in a club environment than I do mixing from home, for argument's sake. Uh, uh, so I'm not too worried about that. You know, I'll just. If I get some big shows come up and then all I will do is, is practice a little bit more beforehand. I've done a few more streams lately as well. So, uh, and they've gone really well. So yeah, it's, I'm not too worried about the DJ inside of it, but I think I can always do with a bit more practice <laughs> for sure. For as sure. In terms of your, uh, as in terms of your Twitch channel, say that three fucking times fast. Um, <laughs> how's that going for you? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's good. Um, you know, I was pretty much a late bloomer to Twitch. Um, I don't know, man. I've had a kind of differing of opinion about about Twitch. You know, perhaps a, one that wasn't warranted. Sorry, Twitch. Uh, but <laughs> um, I thought it was more beneficial to be working in the studio, so I had a barrage of releases uh, rather than you know, DJing on Twitch or whatever, I thought that was just more important for the nature of coming out of this thing with gigs. Mm -hmm. Um, But I tell you what, since, you know, watching Sean Tyus on Wednesday nights for Wet Wednesdays, um, seeing his, you know, the community he has and and the vibe in the chat and the interaction he has with his fans and stuff is is really, really great. It's, It's really bridged that gap because, you know, I mean, ultimately when the gigs stopped happening, there is there, the interaction between artist and fan is very very small, and it's not the same. A tag on social media, as much as it's appreciated, it's not the same as playing in front of you, uh, you know, as the crowd and DJ aspect. Um, so to see the community that Sean's built up and and various other DJs on Twitch as well, and to see how they interact with their fans has been something really cool to watch. You know, bridge that gap and and have that interaction again. The thing that's missing from gigs, of course, it's not the same, but it's it's definitely great. It's great interaction and. Not just that, but if people are sitting around at home and having uh, negatively impacted by thoughts or negatively impacted by outside what's going on outside and they're feeling really shit, you know, these Twitch streams by the DJs that they love are something that's just an amazing thing to pull them out of that. And it's uh, it's been a really powerful and kind of special tool to to help people through this lockdown. I think without Twitch, there would be people in a lot worse way than what they are now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That- 
that I'll agree with. Um, it's 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 definitely done a lot of people a lot of good, and um, you know it's I think I think it's a wonderful thing. Now, you actually took uh, a little bit of a hiatus from social media um, for a while, which was warranted. You and I talked privately about that, but now. Uh, Social media is a necessary evil, is it not? Where now that your popularity uh, is starting to soar, you have to be on it more and more. And social media is one of those things where, in my opinion, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Um, and if you don't do it, you're going to be forgotten about. And if you do it and do it too much, people are still still going to be mad at you because you're doing it too fucking much. Yeah. I mean, you know, I can sit in front of you and tell you how many evil aspects there are to social media. Uh, but all I would really be doing is succumbing to the power of that evil by doing so. Mm -hmm. uh, I have to, I have to make the conscious choice now to be on social media in a positive way. Uh, instead of relaying my own personal opinions about certain uh, subjects. And, you know, there's, there's been, um, because as you know, I'm an outspoken guy. I'm, I'm, I'm polite. Don't get me wrong. I would never offend anybody on purpose. I would never be rude to anyone, but I'm also not going to bullshit either. Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't get me wrong. I'd like to relay the truth in as polite a way as possible, um, or at least my truth. It doesn't have to be anyone else's truth. It's just what I believe. But yeah. um, I feel there is a way to do that, you know, diplomatically and in a way where we can all have our say and not be pissed off with each other. Uh, so as an outspoken guy that I have... Uh, formed and shared certain opinions about certain things and I've lost uh, fans of the music from it I don't like the term fans as you know yeah um, yeah so I've lost you know fans of trans music have stopped following my pages for this reason and I have a little bit of an issue with that not because of the loss of followers because in my opinion if you stop following an artist just because they have an opinion that differs to yours on any subject whatsoever then you are never a fan of that person's music in the first place. That I will say. And so that is not a great loss in that sense. If you're, if you're a fan of somebody's music, they can think whatever they want. They can say whatever they want. I and mean, even if they mean it in the best intentions, they can't be responsible for, for how somebody listens to it and how somebody perceives it. Yeah. So I could be, I could mean something with the, the kindest heart possible and I will speak a word and it will be a description of a thought. And then I cannot be responsible for how somebody will listen to and perceive that. And much like it, they can't be responsible for how I perceive and listen to the things that they say. And so my opinion is if, if you don't like the way something sounds from someone's mouth and you stop following their art because of that, or their art becomes uh, unlistenable because of that, then you never were a fan of the music in the first place. I think our world is so divided right now uh, in that if you say one wrong thing, you're completely shunned, no matter how great your art is, uh, due to the fact that in a lot of people's eyes, your art is a reflection of who you are as a person. I can see it to a point, but at the same time, music is music, and what you say is something a completely different so if you've lost followers because of your outspoken views on certain subjects i don't think it's any great loss matt i mean 
I really don't. No, it's one of those things, you know, for example, do I stop listening to, just to give a really broad example, yeah. do I stop listening to Michael Jackson's music and do I hear it in a different way just because there's conjecture that he was a pedophile? Mm-hmm. No, I don't. I still love his music. His music is great, regardless of what he did in his personal life or what his views were. Simple as that. Yeah. Like, you know, like you can't profess to be the fan of somebody's music and then leave because they say they don't believe in vaccines, for example, or whatever the case might be. And so my stance on it is, am I going to stop following the, the artists that I love just because they have an, a, an opinion that's different to my own? No, I'm not. But if people want to leave because of that, by all means do so. It's, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that's a bad thing. If people don't like what they read or what they hear, that's fine. But you know, if you love the art, then just listen to the music and stop following the goddamn name. Yeah. Now, we can all be outspoken about our opinions on certain subjects. And I am using the virus as a as an example here. If you're a person who is against the vaccine, uh, then you're not going to be able to do anything. The digital health passport is definitely a thing. It's happening. It will happen. And as a DJ who used to travel all over the world, Matt, what are you going to do when uh, you got to start traveling again and you have to get the shot or shots? You have to get this passport to do the fact that I know your views on this and it sort of contradicts on what you're going to have to do to travel. I mean, I'm not one to to project too much into the future. I prefer to remain here and now as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, should that future arise, we will cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, I don't know. I can't honestly say hand on heart that I know what I will do at that point. And uh, the interesting thing is, even though you know I can post about vaccines and people can perceive it as me being anti-vaccine, mm-hmm. and I just like to clear up that I'm not. Actually, I feel very much that if there's enough evidence to support the fact that they're healthy if there's enough evidence to support the fact that they actually do anything that they actually work then you know, i'll have one in each arm i don't care all right it's not that i'm anti-vaccine i just i would just prefer to have a bit more time to make my own personal decision on it yeah and there's a bit more information available to us all and it's not just being fed through the powers of media when you do start to play again are we going to start to hear a little bit more maybe slower tempo some prog music starting to come into play there from mr asteroid yeah uh yes you will um it won't be coming by way of the asteroid medium though um it will be a separate alias i don't want to kind of yeah i don't want to confuse people about what i'm doing i mean ultimately if we you know because we touched on the label thing and and Mm. you know how the pressure to make music for it's a certain label for example a certain sound or criteria to fit you touched on it very briefly in the a and r process uh, we spoke about uh, so with that in mind i mean i would ultimately like to remove myself from that completely and just go into the studio sit down and go what am i feeling today and make music that i'm feeling and be happy with it once it leaves the studio that should be first and foremost for any producer sadly because of the industry, because of the way it works, because of the way we want to break into the industry, we do have to, uh, because of label pressure, we do have to uh, conform to certain rules. But yes, that is no more for me. That's even if my tracks never signed again to any label ever, as long as I'm happy with them leaving this room, that's all I care about. And that's the way it's going to be from now on. And and uh, 
you know, with with that in mind, maybe I should release the release the progressive stuff under my own name, under the asteroid uh, identity, shall we say, because it's just a name at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just a name. It's just a stage name. Um, so yeah. I mean, if I'm free to write whatever I want with no implications and no no pressure, then I can should just be able to release it under whatever hell name I want, really. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. One thing I can say though, I'm really really enjoying that deeper progressive vibe that. Uh, you know, the John W. Flemings and Tim Penders of the world are kind of throwing out at the moment. I love that stuff. Something that actually changes. <laughs> you and me both. Yeah. I've, I've actually, uh, I've actually grown tired of a lot of the 138. Um, it's, it, I don't know whether it's due to the fact that I'm turning 50 in a week and that my tastes are changing or if that music doesn't do it for me anymore, Matt. Um, I'm not saying that all of 138 Trance is terrible, but there are f- very few songs that I actually like anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's it's no surprise as we as we approach our mature years, because I'm obviously getting older too. Uh, I remember when I first started out, I was really into the happy hardcore, UK hardcore, so super fast, like 170, 180 BPMs. Uh, so really fast dance music. And then I moved to kind of hard trance, which was 140 to 150. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I'm at the 140 uh, minus kind of uh, tempo, uh, you know, and slowing down all the time. So like I, the uplifting or energetic style of trance music that I write generally is always 140. I don't think I've ever done the track at 138 yet. Yeah. I, traditionally, it was at 140 and I've always liked it a little bit faster. Um, but I think I think the reason that everything sounds the same is because, you know, it's it's great. It, it, again, like social media, sample packs and templates are also a necessary evil. One, yeah. because they, they fund, you know, the loss of earnings for an artist who's no longer able to travel and play gigs, for example. So it's a way of income for these guys. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the great. Um, it's also great for inspiring, you know, uh, newcomer, uh, beginner and more advanced producers great place for you know placeholders for inspiration okay sample packs and stuff um but that is also the reason that everything sounds the same because everybody's using the same sample packs everybody's using the same sound banks and they're not even trying to uh offer any kind of sound design whatsoever even if it means manipulation of samples because that's still considered sound design anytime you shape or sound or change or manipulate modulate any sound it's considered sound design as well it's not just building a sound from oscillation upwards. So, uh, you know, the only way that the, the scene will grow, uh, will, the, that energetic 138, 140 trance will change is if more producers learn sound design. Um, that's the yeah. only, only way to change because it will sound like everybody else's stuff otherwise. Um, but, you know, it's also, again, it comes down to what you were mentioning again about the A&R stuff, you know, where does the responsibility lay? Because you know, if, if, if a label is pushing any particular artist, no need to mention any names, just any particular artist that's doing really well, then all of a sudden the beginner producers go, I want to sound like that guy because he's right. getting all the popularity. So, you know, there's, people try to replicate each other's sound. So when, for example, that was me early on, I, nobody's free from it. What Early on, I wanted to sound like Darren Portis, why I paid for tuition with him, let's face it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to shout, sound like Sean Tyus and Darren Porter and the more energetic guys. Um, and so I paid for tuition with these guys. I bought their sample packs. I bought their sound banks. And then all of a sudden, you kind of go, uh, okay, everybody's trying to do that. And, and so then, you know, a year or two ago, I really tried my best to kind of 
create a sound that's energetic like those guys, but not have the same color and the exact same format and the same arrangements and same sounds. So uh, I think the only way it can move forward is if, if we look at the scene as a whole and go, are we going to do the same as everybody else? Or are we going to try and do something different? And to, you know, but again, there has to be some uh, bands aren't very helpful in this aspect and neither are the labels because, you know, if it's not a certain criteria, not a certain sound, then the label goes, well, we're sorry, you're a new guy, so we can't really take the gamble. It's okay if you're an established name and you're experimental because they'll take a chance, already got a name already established, right? But for a newcomer, it's not like that. Um, so it's difficult. And then also the fans, they're not very easy either. either. You know, I've heard ridiculous arguments like, if a track is nine minutes long, it's not trance. If a track doesn't have this kick and that bass line, it's not trance. If a, if a track doesn't have, you know, these aspects of what that you, that's anything pre anything post 2003, if you like the classic era, mm. if anything like the classic music, then it's not trance anymore. And I'm like, fuck that. Mm-hmm. Fuck that. Because actually, trance, what does that mean? The word trance? Repetition is what it means to me. When you're in a trance, it means any electronic dance music that has a 4-4 rhythm with a rolling bass line and, and saw leads is trance music. Whether you like it or not, it is. Um, okay. And we can just take all the genres out of it, okay? Take all the genres away. That's the problem. People are going, oh, this is, this is uh, melodic techno. This is techno. This is, uh, I don't know, deep, deep house. And it's just like, well, it's all house or techno or trance, right? No matter which way you look at it, progressive, uh, uplifting, energetic, euphoric. All of these crazy subgenres that everybody's got—it's just fucking trance music, man. And not to cut you off, but I think Bport is majorly to blame for this. I mean, think about it: twenty-seven thousand songs are uploaded to Spotify each day. I forget offhand what the number to Bport is. If you group everything into trance, your song is going to get lost in negative two seconds. Yeah. So what do we do? Let's branch off. It's it's basically it's basically a pyramid you've got trance at the top and then you've got all of these subgenres where your music is going to be easier to find and i'm saying that beat that beat port is to blame for all the subgenres but did they really have a choice yeah it's a good question again if we had that quality control then we wouldn't have this issue would we and perhaps not but it would be less it would be a much better quality essentially yeah but then again it is a free market right it is it is it absolutely is and this is the thing i mean when i when i think about trance music i just think about you know energetic melodic music that makes me kind of forget about what's going on for a few moments and i drift away in a trance right so if if it's at 130 or it's at 140 or 160 or whatever hell bpm then so be it you know like a and the, the fans just have to be more open-minded. They just do. You cannot say that something is not trance anymore when somebody is trying to move the sound forward. Or some, you know, there can be, there are fundamentals of trance, of course, like we mentioned before, the rolling bass line for one, the saw leads, they're very typical of a trance track, okay? So you can keep the fundamentals, but you can also try to uh, reimagine or update or move it forward a little bit. I mean, if we're still using bass lines from 1998 from old synths and stuff like that, then it's going to become like Hard House where it just eventually there's nothing to it and there's no new music. And that's, you know, that would be a sad state of affairs because everybody loves trance music, really, really and truly. Yeah. Um, 
and the production quality is 10 times better now than it ever was back then too so you know that also accounts for why people love older trance music because it wasn't as well produced it was raw it was used with mostly analog gear so it had a certain warmth a certain texture to it and so it was more enjoyable sometimes in that sense and and you can't achieve that now it's almost too clinical it's lost its rawness it's lost its depth and so i totally get that you know but you kind of have to move with the times here otherwise you're going to play stuff on a cassette all for the rest of your life probably not <laughs> yeah. I want to listen to classics until right. i die cassette tape no i'm sorry like we just have to move forward yeah yeah <laughs> we don't, actually we don't people can do whatever the fuck they want it's just my opinion i i want to move forward with my music and that's it and speaking of moving forward with your music, you are now starting to engineer for other people and helping them like Darren Porter did you, which I think is a wonderful thing. Uh, if So long as the person who you are helping has some type of input in how they want the song to sound, how they want the structure of the song to be when it's finished, I also understand you've got to make money doing this. Sure. You do have a full-time job, but you are good enough now to where you can offer some ghosting services. And yeah. I have really, really mixed opinions about this. I really do. Uh, and I'm going to use Story of Oz as an example here. It burns my ass when you see someone come out of absolutely nowhere that is hyped. Yes, I'm using seven once again, but when you have John Askew absolutely praise this guy that no one's heard of, and the music's really fucking good. Yes. And, and, and he signed Story of Oz already to a four song deal, yet no one's heard of this guy. That doesn't happen in this industry, does it? Uh, yeah, it's difficult to say. I, one thing I will say, if Story of Oz isn't an existing seven member, mm -hmm. if, if Story of Oz, the identity of Story of Oz is eventually revealed and he's not already a really, really great producer, then you don't come along and sign a four-track deal with some of the, the likes of seven, the seven members then, shall I say, or seven management. You certainly don't sign a four-track deal there with your first four tracks, no, if that's what you're getting at. Um <laughs> But it wouldn't surprise me if it is one of the existing. I, this is just pure speculation at this point because nobody really knows. But right. uh, if it is one of the existing seven guys, like if it turned out to be John himself or even one of the guys that John manages or works really well with, uh, then I wouldn't be super surprised, you know, um, because it it has, it, as you can imagine, there there's professional music production and then the seven guys. And it, it's just that level above, you know, like the production is just... It's just it's just a level above everybody. Like they're an amazing, there are amazing producers in the trans scene, mm -hmm. many many of them. And uh, you know, some are friends, and some are people I've never met who are just incredible producers. Um, but with the seven stuff, generally, they're just that kind of that notch above. It's kind of like psy trance, you know, psy psychedelic trance. Even though people, not everyone's into it, um, you cannot deny that the production quality on psychedelic trance is absolutely out of this world even a step above the seven guys for me personally production quality um so yeah you know when you listen it's the sound of oz or some what is it sound of oz story of oz. Sound of oz yeah so even the story of oz it has that quality to it that pristine production quality that finesse you know it has that finesse to it 
uh, that's that reeks of seven. <laughs> shall we say? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I think I wouldn't be surprised if it was an already existing member. Uh, however, I'd be pleasantly surprised if it's someone new, which is cool. Um, one thing I will say, though, as good as the production is on that Somersault track, um, the melody is almost a carbon copy of a track from many years ago called Expander by Mark Dawn, the, and in particular the Flutlist remix. Uh, if you listen to that, it's pretty much the melody reversed or even maybe just a few notes reversed. It's almost identical. So whoever the story of Oz is, the production is fantastic, and I'm sure they could probably be more creative with the melody writing, to be honest. That's just my feeling, though. When you provide a song for someone with absolutely no input at all from the client, that, of course, is called ghost producing. You can make a pretty penny doing that. But just as in terms of your experience and with the clients that you deal with, are your clients mainly doing this for fun or are they looking to literally buy their way into the top? Uh, they're literally trying their way to buy, trying to buy their way into the top. So, you know, I don't know anyone that would spend between 500 and a thousand euros to pay for one single track, uh, without being serious about wanting to be taken seriously in the industry. Um, you know, I, I, it would be quite an expensive hobby in terms of just to kind of show your friends or whatever, I guess. But, but yeah, I mean, in terms of ghost production, I've done quite a lot <laughs> of it over the past couple of years, uh, mainly on and off, you know, I take hi uh, a hiatus from it uh, often because I kind of feel like I'm selling my soul a little bit. Um, yeah. Not that I want credit for the tracks, it's not even that. It's it's more just that, it's, it's just the part where they get up on stage and they play the music or they're in interviews and they're talking about my new release this, my new release that. It doesn't fit with who I'm trying to be as a person, authentically speaking. Like, it does, just doesn't fit with who I want to try my best to be you know, and how I want to show up in life, both personally and professionally. Yeah. And I'm, I'm battling with that side of it. Um, you know, I can't consider myself, I can't consider my practices authentic when I'm doing that, I guess, um, I guess is the battle. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've also, I've also stopped, uh, you know, now recently I've, I've also unfortunately said to my, uh, my more consistent ghost, uh, clients, I've told them that I no longer want to do it. Um, because there are also elements where you write, you know, an absolutely incredible track and it gets signed to, uh, one of your label goals, for example, put it this way, uh, yeah. my clients tracks have ended up on labels. I've been rejected from personally for asteroid music, uh, which is a little, <laughs> bit... uh, I hate to so... laugh, but it's funny. Yeah, it is. It is fucking funny <laughs> <laughs> because. Um, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, again, it's sometimes it's down to who, you know, and not what, you know, mm -hmm. uh, there will be ways in for certain people to certain A&R groups and certain label groups, um, where they know people who can help them get their music heard. Sometimes the asteroid demos don't even, aren't even listened to, they're not even listened to on the other, on the label side. And then, uh, you know, labels that I've been trying to get signed to for the best part of five years, you know, my client sends a track under their name and they get signed straight away. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a kick in the teeth. So that's one, that's the second reason why I want to stop. And the third reason is, you know, one person's only got a, a certain amount of creative energy. And if I'm putting that into everybody else's music, where is it going to be? Where is it going to be for mine? Uh, so yeah, I'll I find for you to say that. Yeah. I find myself often 
often often the better tracks are the ones I end up writing for my clients and then I'm kicking myself afterwards going why did I do that why did I sell that one you know uh, but, it, but it is what it is it's one of those things if you want to earn money from it the two ways to do it are gigs and, and engineering that's the two ways to earn money from music certainly our type of music anyway yeah. um, so it's one of those things if you want the extra money do you sell sell your soul as it were mm-hmm. uh, become when your everyday practice is to try and be as authentic as possible just for 500 or 700 euros sometimes it's not worth it thinking about it yeah yeah it's an interesting conundrum isn't it yeah it is and i won't do it anymore um you know there was i kind of let myself off the hook a little bit because i was you know having the new studio installation buying my new mac and my new studio equipment and and I needed to save fast. So of course, taking on a few more clients, I got there much quicker than I could have done with just my full-time job. So it's yeah. been, there are many positives for it. And my, my clients are really happy. So there are many positives. Um, but yeah, but I just don't, I don't really require the extra money now, I guess. So it's need for me to keep uh, going against what I really feel about it. Yeah. So, so speaking of your, your full-time job and as in terms of your personal life, you know, you're pretty outspoken with your relationship with your girlfriend, Olivia. Um, she's just a, an absolutely wonderful woman. And, uh, you two seem to be the hallmark card storybook teller couple that, uh, we all like to see on social media, you know, with, uh, with the 2.2 dogs, you know, the white picket fence, the, the one and a half story house, you know, you, you guys are <laughs> so lovely together. And, uh, and I couldn't be more, more happy for you, Matt. And I, I truly hope that everything is going well. And, and as in terms of your full-time job, I, I think that we're lucky in our respective fields, uh, to have been working this whole time and, not to have to rely a on the government and b have to worry about where our next paycheck was coming from it's 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 certainly been a blessing to have that sense of normalcy still in us sure it has the routine has been nice uh you know especially when because i mean a part of you know any mental health issues that may arise from this particular instance what we're experiencing right now part of the triggers for those mental health issues would be boredom would be sitting in in your house with no routine and just your thoughts to be consuming you with um so for that in that respect and you know and i feel bad for anyone that's experiencing any kind of mental health issues of course um but yeah i feel very fortunate in that sense that routine has kept me sane uh you know the regular paycheck has kept me sane um and 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 without it you know I, i doubt that lockdown would have been anywhere near as comfortable and and you know i wish i just wish that everybody could have been in that in that situation where they didn't have to worry i wish that people were in certain situations where their you know where their governments haven't failed them mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's like yeah, it's sad you know but my personal opinions on on things like this aren't going to make it any easier so um i can only be grateful for my own experience and hope that in dark times maybe you know the positivity of my music and my experience of it comes through and has been able to help people and because it because it certainly has um other people's negative experiences of it have certainly helped me too um and i can be thankful for that as well even if it's tough for those guys you know um seeing people that haven't haven't got as much as really taught me to be grateful for what i have got and 
and has taught me to to kind of run through the lockdown with a different a different uh, outlook on everything that's going on. You know, coming from a place of gratitude and uh, and appreciation instead of completely focusing on what I don't have anymore. Yeah, it, it, we can stand in a quarter and stomp up and down and scream and yell like a little nine year old kid, which does absolutely no good. And I think we've we are concentrating on ourselves more nowadays, which leads us actually to be a little bit more of a selfish society. And there's a fine line there. Uh, I think you're old enough to remember back when you were a kid, you knew who your neighbors were. You knew the people in your neighborhood due to the fact that the neighborhood was just that, a neighborhood. Um, Now, I probably one out of 10 people actually know who their next door neighbor is. Uh, and it's, it's while we all want to look out for each other, we have all really become extremely selfish and there's a fine line there. It does. Yeah, it does. I mean, the thing is, it's difficult to get that balance, right? And, and not just that, but sometimes when you reach out a hand to someone, they don't always see it. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, and so they can, you can always seem selfish to someone who's not able to see your generosity too. Um, for example, because of our selfish nature, I mean, it's, first of all, you know, nobody is more or less selfish than anyone. Everyone is selfish across the board. Every single person, whether, whether we believe ourselves to be doing something for the good of others, it's still for us. Because if I was to do something kind for you, Eric, it would feel great to me mm-hmm. that I'm help you so that's self-serving to a degree sure all right so this is where we the the kind of line of selfishness for me becomes a little bit blurred because everybody is selfish and we just need to get beat we need to get okay with that we need to get okay with the fact that actually it's okay for you to matter it's okay for you to do something for yourself it's okay for you to put yourself first because ultimately how can you ever be of service to another if you're not watering your own garden how can you ever be of any service to others? Got to get your shit at home in order first, man. Yeah. We don't, you know, it's, it's I, much think I think there's a lot of people in America, especially, that uh, want other people to water their garden for them. Absolutely. And be led there to yeah. watch them do it. Uh-huh. You know, I don't know how to water my own garden. So I need somebody else to lead me there and show me how it's done. And it's just like, you know, and I, and I, I really sympathize with anyone that feels that they cannot do something for themselves or that they need help or, or attention or love or whatever it might be from, from another. But the truth is, there's absolutely nothing that you can't do for a start. Anybody, there's nothing that anyone can't do physically. If they want to, they will do it. But also, you know, are you even seeing and this is a question to anyone who might be listening to this, are any of us even seeing kind advances from our loved ones or even from strangers? Are we taking enough time to look up from our screens to even notice? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately our life is through a screen right now. Yeah. It is. And it's, you know, through what, for whatever reason, social media, through pandemic, well, you know, all of our communication style is through a phone. There's absolutely no human connection right now. You know, part of it is, due to social distancing but even before that it's like 
If you think that somebody can show you how they care about you or how much they want to help you through a Facebook message, the gesture is nice, sure. But you can't show somebody how much you care about them through a message. Not like you can in front of each other, looking in each other's eyes saying, hey, brother, what's up? You know, what can I do to help you? Mm -hmm. You just can't. So if people want help, take the help when it's offered. Take a fucking look up from the screen once in a while to know what's around you, to know what's being offered. Yeah. And realize that realize that actually you're just tuned into a fucking website where people are telling you how to live your own life while simultaneously not having a fucking clue how to run their own. Water our own gardens first. That's the, uh, the only thing that I, the only thing that I keep going, coming back to in my times of darkness, in my times of turmoil, in my, in my times of uh, need or, or lack thereof having something or feeling like I need attention or any of the number of things that come with insecurity from whatever reason, maybe childhood reasons, whatever, whatever your reason for wanting attention from another is actually notice it when someone's giving it to you for God that, you know, for God's sake. I mean, it's, if we are too, uh, if we are too much in our screens and too much in our own shit, then we're never going to be able to look up and see the flowers are blooming anyway. So it's just, yeah. Um, People are missing opportunities everywhere because they think that nobody wants to help them while simultaneously not noticing when the help is given. And from there, the conversation turned into a more personal nature between Matt and I, and I've opted not to share it. Sometimes when you have these casual chats, you begin to talk about things in your own life that aren't meant for the general public's consumption. But I hope you've enjoyed my chat with Matt Thomas, AKA Asteroid, on this episode of Eric CDM World. And I'll be back next week with another guest, so long as I don't forget to hit record. So until then, thanks for listening, and I'll see you around.